Welcome to First Friday Five. It's the first Friday of the month, and we're watching five episodes of a TV show and then judging it based solely on those five episodes. Today's show is Scrubs. I'm Corbin Zavokal. And I'm Cody Webb. And I'm excited uh, for this week. This is week two edition of uh, you know the, the new series we started. Going month two, TV even. Series. Exactly. Two two months, two, uh, two new episodes. I love that format as well. Something to look forward to at the beginning of every month. I'm excited to be here, man. How you doing? Very good. Uh, baseball season started this weekend, spring training, so uh, about to get real busy, I think. But definitely excited to talk uh, more TV. We just did our TV sitcom draft episode. We did our office episode a month ago, like we said. Uh, we're, we're really diving deep into the world of television. Yeah, I love it. I mean, personally, I, I'm a big TV guy in general, too. And kind of starting off with the sitcoms, in a sense, which is my bread and butter, I feel like, at least for TV, uh, I think it's a good direction to start. And so, yeah, I, I love it. Well, our TV show today is Scrubs. And, you know, you mentioned television. And the idea of television as a separate medium from movies is something really interesting. And I think it was cool to start with sitcoms and The Office and Scrubs in particular, because they're two, like, good examples of, like, episodic storytelling, where it's Yes, there is a through line throughout the seasons and throughout the entirety of the show. There are, you know, multi-season storylines happening, but also each individual episode is its own story. It has its own message. It has its own wrap up at the end. Sometimes you get some two-parters, but I think there's something really impressive to be said about 20 minutes of just like straight, you know, storytelling content that is both building to something larger and you know, creating something self-contained that you can go in and watch. And, you know, for a show like First Friday Five, that ability to do something self-contained is extremely important because we're only watching five episodes. So the five episodes we see are, you know, all you're going to get. I have seen every episode of Scrubs. Cody, this is the first time you ever watched it. Yeah. I guess just hit us with your initial thoughts right off the bat. What'd you think uh, seeing five episodes of it? In general, I feel like I am actually pretty positive on it. I think I'll keep harping on too is like even the lowest rated episode. Like I didn't, I didn't hate it that much. Like I thought it was still fun. There were some parts obviously we talked about that that are really dumb, but in general, I mean, the characters are pretty likable, obviously, uh, you know, JD in the center. I feel like as I went along, I was kind of just trying to find out information about these characters in this, because like you said, I, I haven't seen this before. So like jumping from season to season was pretty fun. It was like, Oh, this is them in season one. And then in season eight, like, oh, they're all married. They all have kids. But yeah, I think it's actually kind of an interesting way to to watch a TV show, like, break it up like this. Yeah, I, I had a good time, at least, you know, with these five episodes in general, I would say. Yeah, so the five episodes that we watched were season one, episode one, My First Day, which was the pilot. Season three, episode 14, My Screw Up, which is the highest rated on IMDb. Season five, episode 20, My Lunch, which was my selection. Season eight, episode 11, My Na Na Na, the lowest rated. And then season eight, episodes 18 and 19, my finale for the finale. Now, we do have to address something because this is our second episode and we're already kind of cheating the rules uh, that we pre-established and that the finale of season eight and that my oh. finale episode is not technically the finale to this television show. So to kind of explain for those that aren't aware, similar to Michael Scott leaving at the end of season seven, at the end of season eight, or as the show is coming to a close, Zach Braff said, 
you know what, this is going to be my last season of the show. Some people said, you know, we could end the show here, but there was a decision made. Creator Bill Lawrence decided we're going to do another season of the show. And rather than just removing JD and replacing him as the main character and maybe, you know, keeping everybody else around like they did in the office, they essentially did a whole reboot and did a, like a whole new show. It's very similar to like the that 70s show, that 90s show in terms of their similarities in which, you know, our original characters of JD as Zach Braff, funny enough, does appear. Turk appears, Dr. Cox, Elliot, like all of our main characters, other than like Kelso, they all appear, but it's just like for one or two episodes scattered throughout the season. And it's entirely focused on a new character and a new set of students at a medical school. We're going to pretend at the end of yeah. this particular comment, we're going to pretend like that didn't happen, that they, they never made that series because Here's the thing. The lowest rated episode is actually in season nine. It's a part of this. And then obviously the finale as well. So we didn't want to do that. We wanted to stick to the season one through eight, the true continuity of JD's character, because realistically, it's just a different show in season nine. And it's a very unsuccessful show at that. Interesting. Uh, is that kind of the reason they just didn't keep going with it? Is yeah, a hundred percent. Like it was hated. It was, it was much maligned. <laughs> you know, I do feel like there's some good people that are involved with it, but you know, it's just, it falls flat. Turk and like Dr. Cox are in it a little bit more than Zach Braff's, uh, JD's character is just because they're like teachers at the medical school, but it is, it's like an entirely new narrator. Um, all the episodes are titled Hour because it's about a group of characters rather than one. It's all in all weird. Yeah, that's really weird kind of, and talking about the finale a little bit too, like it's a really cool send off, I think. And they even have like the last segment being like, they show the last scenes that all the actors and actresses like filmed as like the series wrap, I think they called it, sort of bring them back in a ninth season. I feel like that just doesn't make sense on what they were doing, like in that episode specifically too. So yeah, I don't know. That's weird. It's also extremely weird because just as a background, it ran from October 2001 until March 2010. The season eight finale happened in May 2009. And then the season nine like spinoff reboot thing was on that fall. So it was not even like they took a year off or they took some time. It was like six months in between the end of season eight and season nine. And they jumped straight into this new idea. It's just really not good at all. Something weird happened where actually at the end of season seven, NBC, which ran the show for the first seven seasons, canceled it. ABC picked it up for season eight. And then I guess they were the ones who put in the money for season nine as well. Um, they decided to not move forward after season nine. Some cool stuff about Scrubs. It is a single camera comedy, which at the time in 2001 was extremely rare. You think of shows that are, you know, 90s shows like Friends or even, you know, more modern sitcoms like How I Met Your Mother that are shot multi-cam. It's a lot easier. You're running, you know, you get your full coverage in one take. You're shooting three camera shots at once. This, they shot like a movie every single week. It's one camera. They're doing a different setup for every single take, for every different angle. Um, it's a lot of work. There's movement. And it, that's really impressive. And it also kind of, you know, paved the way for a lot of comedies to kind of follow in its footsteps and do this, you know, further down the road. And now there's very few multicam television shows left. I, I can't even really think of any that air now obviously they did like a parody of it on wandavision season one but um the <laughs> multi-cam comedy doesn't exist a lot anymore and you know scrubs is one of those first trailblazing ones to kind of uh take that on yeah that is super cool i i honestly did not even know that so you're just bringing out you know great facts here just learning about history in general so i do appreciate if scrubs is successful doing that like it's just kind of just a good benchmark i guess for everybody else and uh the show was created by bill lawrence you might know him from some of his other work uh 
Clone High, which he did with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, Cougar Town. He did the Rush Hour TV show, but then most popular recently, Ted Lasso, hugely successful. Oh, wow. He's the show runner along with Brett Goldstein. You might know him as Hercules in the MCU now, um, but him and Brett Goldstein have worked on Ted Lasso. And then now, uh, the most recently, alongside Jason Siegel, the shrinking TV show with Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. So <laughs> they're doing a lot of great stuff over at Apple right now, uh, Bill Woods. Yeah. Have you seen the trailers for that? Uh, I haven't been a big fan of them, honestly. I've heard that shrinking is incredibly good. I've heard nothing but really? great things about it. Yeah. Oh, it looks like Harrison Ford is just like sleepwalking through most of that, but. Fair enough. I might have to check it out. Nothing, uh, nothing too out too out of the ordinary from Harrison Ford. <laughs> there, I'd say this show does star Zach Braff, Donald Faison, Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Judy Reyes, Ken Jenkins, and Neil Flynn. Uh, just kind of hitting on a couple of those people. Sarah Chalk in How I Met Your Mother, another sitcom for a couple seasons or a couple episodes. She plays a love interest for Ted. And uh, funny enough, the she's a doctor in that show as well. And the coat that she wears is her scrubs. Uh, lab coat she just has to use some pens to cover up the name Elliot Reed uh, whenever she's on How I Met Your Mother wow that is great trivia there um that was pretty much like the first thing I noticed in the show too I was like okay I, I know Zach Braff obviously I know he's in, the, in this but I didn't really know much of the other cast so when I saw her I was like I don't even know her character name from How I Met Your Mother is she Zoe I think so no she's not Zoe Zoe's the crazy one who's trying to save uh, the big building uh, her character is the one who's a mom and like lives in Jersey or something, right? I don't remember what it is, but um, that's pretty much the only thing I know her from, and I did I had no idea she's on the show. So Stella is her name. Stella. She leaves him yeah. at the altar, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough scene for the for the karate guy. Uh, so I, I don't know if I back her in that show, but from what I've seen, I I, I do like her character in this one a little bit more than in High uh, Mother. Obviously, you said you knew Zach Braff. He, you know was writer director star of garden state this year he's got a new movie coming out that he directed and wrote starring florence Pugh, morgan freeman called a good person definitely looking forward to that donald Faison is in clueless a movie that we've talked about previously on this podcast and then uh i don't know if you remember this but judy reyes uh carla she appears in a couple episodes of the first season of succession as well who's she she's Wait, just what? she's someone that works for logan in the company she just kind of disappears after a couple episodes, but she's in the the pilot in the first couple episodes of the season. Huh. Is she the one who gets fired at the boardroom when, when they try to take over Brian Cox? There's somebody there. No, I think she's gone by that point. Succession's kind of a weird thing is where like characters sometimes just disappear and you never like a lot of the side like office type people. She was just around. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Well, I did not know that either. That's that's pretty cool trivia as well. Just a couple other uh, fun facts. Um, similar to The Office, each season of the show is a new year in the characters' lives. It starts with them as hospital interns, and they progress through the ranks, eventually becoming residents and then full-fledged doctors at the hospital, which is cool. And each year is you know another year mo moving closer towards that. Established very on in the first episode, this is a show where... You know, Zach Braff's character is going to narrate and he's going to have a lot of goofy fantasies, which I, I love and I think is a staple for the show. It's one of the best parts about the show. The show was shot in a former refurbished closed hospital in Northern Hollywood, and it is the same hospital set that they take Pam to in the season five episode where they go on like the picnic and then she goes to the hospital. It is like yeah. she goes to the Sacred Heart set. It's just a little bit more uh, brightly lit than the typical Scrubs <laughs> episode. Gotcha. That's dope too. Pam and uh, I mean, it's an office Scrubs crossover, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's perfect that these two episodes happened uh, back to back. 
Um, it's cool though, that they just like had this real light, like this huge hospital that they were just shooting in for like nine years. And they even, I think they shot on the top floors and then they converted like the lower floors to just all these set other sets and production offices. And it was just something that like they used. And I, I think it's so cool when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe they filmed the dark night there too. Could have been, could have blown it up. Cause I think it is destroyed at this point. So maybe they, uh, they blew it up. I'm not sure the timeline uh, quite matches up there close it's close let's uh let's move over to theme song let's let's talk about uh laszlo bane's superman cody i've actually i think i played this song around our house when we lived together i, I don't know if you ever remember hearing it but you and connor were, were pissed when you heard it you hated it you were like let's get turn this fucking shit off it's awful but i personally i think this is a pretty good theme song what do you think cody yeah you know i don't want to be a hater out here but uh i think it's pretty mid i'm not a massive fan of it Obviously, I've only heard it like, well, I guess five times to be exact, not like, but uh, I don't know. I like kind of the concept of having like a shorter theme song, just like it's basically just like one or two lines that he's singing, but it's just not super catchy for me. I don't know. I'm no Superman. What are you even talking about, dude? This has nothing to do with like superheroes. So I feel like it's kind of a weird line anyways, but yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is thematically re relevant to the show because it's, you know, a lot of the yeah. ideas deal with is like, these are doctors, they're they're humans. They make mistakes. People die. They have to deal with that. Like you can't do it all by yourself. You are no singular superhero. You can't save the day at all the points. So I, I think it's a good note to start off on. Yeah. I like it comes conceptually when you say it like that, but just him singing, I'm no Superman. I don't know. I feel like you could say that in a lot of different ways and, and it would be better, but I, I do agree with you. I mean, cause that's kind of what I like about this show too, is it gets pretty serious at times. Like they're dealing with with heart issues and they're having to like tell people terrible news about their health and stuff. So it does have kind of that edge on it, which I think is an important thing to, to include in the theme song. So I do like that part of it. Um, I, I love the opening, like the actual sequence as well. It's really cool because they like filmed it with all of the different cast members. And then they do like a, basically a cut thing where it's like they're morphing into each other, putting up this X-ray um, An X-ray, which I will say is placed on the light upside down or like backwards. So you wouldn't even be able to actually read it. Um, so there's another fun fact for you. Poor doctoring in the uh, opening title sequence. Wouldn't expect anything else from Zach Braff. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. And um, the overall just look of it, I think, is is really good. And I like how they keep it the same uh, throughout the entirety as well. I, I feel like sometimes yeah. you see that if it, if it runs that long. Well, you know, we didn't watch all the episodes. We only watched these five. They, it is the same intro. Um, I think they might. I don't know if the janitor is in the first. Like, there's a couple characters that as the cast gets a little bit expanded, you see more characters in the intro. Um, they did experiment with a shorter version, similar to like what new girl did in later seasons where it's like just oh. them grabbing it. And it's like one sting of the song. Um, and then I think for like maybe two or three episodes, they did like a whole different version, but people hated it and they never really did it again. Um, so it had a little bit of variation, but for the five episodes that we're talking about today, it's pretty consistent, which is cool. Let's move on to ranking this against our previous topic, The Office. I can imagine you want to put The uh, Office ahead of it. And I think I would agree with that The Office it does have a better theme song. Yeah, I do concur. I, I would put The Office above this one uh, for sure. So uh, right now, first place, The Office theme song and uh, second place, The Scrubs theme song. But we'll, we'll keep that list running as, as we continue on. Let's talk about our five episodes. As we said, the first one, season one, episode one, it's the pilot titled My First Day. Cody, what'd you think as a pilot, as an introduction to all these characters? Uh, tell me about it. Yeah, I think overall it actually was a pretty good pilot. 
it kind of did set up like those main friendships and relationships that I feel like are the mainstays. Obviously, Zach Braff and Donald Faison, you get a, a little glimpse of their super fun relationship. And then two, it has kind of like the romantic aspects right away too, with Donald Faison and a succession girl, and then uh, Ted's uh, wife and <laughs> Zach Braff. That's what I'm going to call them the entire time because I don't actually know the character names. But uh, yeah, I think Ted's <laughs> wife. She <laughs> she particularly does not become his wife. Almost, almost fiance, whatever. Um, yeah, I like how they set all of that up, and then you have the kicker of these two asshole doctors. So it's kind of like a little bit of relationship, you know, comedy in there, but then like work comedy too of, oh, I fucking hate my bosses, kind of that thing. So yeah, overall, um, I did enjoy it. I think it was effective because I, I was like, okay, cool. Like, what's the next episode? I, I do want to keep moving on through this. Yeah, I think dissimilarly to The Office, it sets up a lot in this first episode that stays consistent throughout the television show. A lot of these characters are who they continue to be. We see Dr. Kelso as this main antagonizing force as, you know, kind of the bad guy of the hospital. He's the chief of medicine. He's the the guy who says, you know, if they don't have insurance, well, then they're not getting any treatment, which in a show about, you know, saving people's lives, you can clearly see why that's a uh, him and the American medical system are the main villains of the TV show. Um, but then you also get Dr. Cox, who, while being a hard ass, he, as JD says, is kind of the, the good guy at the end of the day. He's the hero. He's the guy that JD's going to look up to. And he's going to be his mentor for the next, you know, nine years. And you don't get a full taste of that relationship. But you can see, you know, a, a clear start and finish to it over the course of these five episodes, which is definitely cool. Yeah. I think that specific relationship too is something fleshed out a bunch more in the later episodes, but you can definitely see like their first couple of interactions, I feel like are, are super memorable as well. Kind of him being like, uh, don't even talk when I'm in the room. Like I thought that was a good line. And then also I think it's just kind of funny that the doctor's name is uh, Dr. Kelso, kind of a, a shout out to that 70s show, I guess. A little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe it's vice versa. I don't know which one came out first. I would, I would guess that 70s show, right? Uh, compared to Scrubs. But yeah, I just think that's a really dumb name for, for Kelso. But that's just me personally. Uh, that 70s show did air in 1998. So maybe Bill Lawrence stole uh, stole the name. Something that people never talk about is the directors of television shows. It is a pretty thankless job because realistically, when you're directing a television show beyond the pilot, your job is more or less to imitate a previously established style you're not really bringing something new to the table a lot of the times it's more you've got a script you've got all these great actors you've got a pre-established style how can you match that and create something that's cohesive yes you have individual episodes of tv that maybe vary and differ but a lot of you know what is the style of this tv show how are we going to cut how are we going to fade how are we going to transition how is the camera going to move how are these fantasies going to work all of this stuff has to be established by the pilot director uh the director of this pilot adam bernstein he's worked on billions and svu breaking bad 30 rock various other shows one-off uh, appearances but i think he does an extremely successful job especially when it again they're doing something new with a single camera comedy something that had never really been done before on the tv world but he does, they do a great job of setting all this stuff up, setting up how these fantasies are going to work, um, kind of like the sound effect and, and all that stuff. And um, I, I think it's really great. And um, it's consistent throughout. Whereas, you know, something like The Office, they, they differ a lot in, in, you know, in character and, and maybe in direction at points. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, honestly, because you're 100% right. Like directing TV, I feel like you pretty much get no credit. So he's, oh, if you're not an executive producer or show runner or whatever that's kind of the first people they talk about 
but in a pilot, I mean, you have to set all that up. And I think like, like I said, I think they did it pretty well here in, in general. Obviously, you know, you have a little bit more knowledge, just a little bit more knowledge on this show than me. Yeah, that's that a cool point. Shout out the directors out there. Obviously, this is a 2001 TV show. So like, it's very funny in the first episode when you see like, oh, here's your pager. Like, this is how you're going to communicate. This is how you're going to be, you know, this is how we're going to contact you. And doctors are probably the last group of people to really continue to hold on to pagers, you know, after the invention of the cell phone. But something Chris talked about on, you know, our TV sitcom draft is that like TV shows that had to deal with cell phones and modern technology happening over the course of them struggled a lot. Scrubs kind of was at the front end of that and didn't really have to deal with cell phones too much until really the, you know, later seasons. And then, you know, they were able to kind of avoid it, which I think is a great thing for them. There's definitely a before and after in, in all media. Um, even movies still don't really know how to deal with cell phones. It's it's something difficult. It's It's hard to show that technology on screen in a way that isn't cheesy or corny. That is true. And the, I guess, I don't know, this is like, I feel like 90s, 2000s is kind of the sweet spot where have, you don't even have to really worry about it until like you said, unless you go like eight, nine, 10 seasons long. But yeah, it kind of just adds a more interesting aspect to like, the, you know, life outside of your phone because they didn't even know what that was. It, it is just a completely different digital age kind of. And it's easy to tell different stories like that. So yeah, yeah, that's another good point. I think this show is also really cool because there's a ton of hospital TV shows, but they're mostly like serious, hard dramas about like, you know, saving people's lives. And it's like this expert doctor who gets all of the craziest illnesses coming towards them, whether it's House or ER or Grey's Anatomy or The Good Place. Like all of these are very serious TV shows. I like that this one is, while it does you know, can be very serious at times, it adds an air of brevity to every single situation. And it knows how to balance between those two things, um, which is why I like it more than, you know, those other hospital dramas. I didn't even think about that. And honestly, I haven't seen like any other hospital drama either. You just named off a bunch. There's probably like 10 times that as well. Like it's ridiculous, like how popular I feel like it is. But I've never seen like an episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I've never seen like an episode of ER, anything like that. So maybe just like that genre just doesn't, you know, interest me for some reason. I never really thought about that. Yeah, I feel like you're right. It, this does it in a completely different way, which does, you know, that would be something I'd be interested in in a sitcom versus like a, a Grey's Anatomy type show, I guess. But that is funny where like there's so many of those, but I feel like people don't really try and do too much comedy with it, which is weird. All right, let's move on to uh, our second episode, which was the highest rated. And it's the episode that I would have selected had it not been selected for us by the parameters that we've defined. But it's season three, episode 14, titled My Screw Up. It guest stars Brendan Fraser in his third and final appearance on the show. He does appear in two earlier episodes, season one's episode 22 and 23. Cody, this episode has a twist to it a little bit. Um, did it catch you off guard? Did it hit you emotionally? Uh, walk me through what you thought of uh, Brendan Fraser's performance in this. Yeah, I thought this was a good episode. Obviously, it is the highest rated one. Yeah, you're right. It did kind of, it had some Shyamalan-esque qualities to it a little bit. Um, kind of like, oh, he's dead the entire time and kind of had a little Fincher in there too, maybe a little Fight Club vibes. But yeah, I, I think it was effective in the twist. And I mean, I kind of knew something was coming because it's a high-rated episode and not too much had really happened. And then it just kicks in at the end and the last five minutes, like, oh, this is emotional. Like, this is some tough stuff. 
So I thought it was really well done and obviously like pretty powerful. And like Brendan Fraser before that, it's just like a, the most like fun guy ever. Like he's always just taking pictures of everybody, cracking jokes. He's doing that puppet thing on on Ted's uh, you know, ex-girlfriend. So I think, you know, overall his performance was really fun too. And then at the end, just be like, oh well, like this guy, this is how this guy's kind of coping with this news. Uh kind of just like denial straight up and and making up a different situation in his head, possibly. That's pretty tough. But I like I said, I, I think it's just super powerful and emotional. So I did like this episode. This is probably my favorite one that that I did watch. And that's cool. And it's it speaks to the power of the episodic nature where it's like in that those two season one episodes, it's when we first meet Brendan Fraser's character, Ben, he learns that he has cancer and he kind of leaves on that note of like, Hey, I have cancer, but I'm going to go travel the world. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to explore and I'm going to keep up with my treatment. He shows up in this episode and he hasn't seen a doctor in the the year and a half or whatever, since we've seen him, obviously like it, it kind of gets rushed. It's a little bit coincidental to think like, Oh, as soon as he shows up, he then dies like while he's yeah. there at the hospital with all them treating him. But nonetheless, I think it is extremely effective, especially when you like then go back and think because there's a moment earlier in the episode where like JD comes up to Dr. Cox and he's like, oh, he flatlined, like he crashed. And you think he's talking about this other patient that they'd established earlier in the episode, but really he was talking about Ben, Brennan Frazier. Do you know, uh, can you tell me the relationship between Brennan Frazier and Dr. Cox, his characters? Do you know? Yeah, I believe the doctor, he's married to this girl. And um, and then she has a sister. I mean, she has a sister, and then she has a brother, and that guy's her brother. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is I'm gonna have to explain some stuff to you here. So I, I don't know if you caught they mentioned that JD had slept with both of Brendan Fraser's yeah. sisters. One it of is. those being Dr. Cox's, uh, not his wife. It's I guess his partner at this time. So they, yeah. him and this woman, they were married, and then they get divorced before the the show starts. And then early on in season one, JD meets her. She's a patient at the hospital. They have, she like gets him to have sex with her. And then he realizes it's Dr. Cox's ex-wife, which is a great episode. It's very hilarious. Um, and then in season two, he ends up meeting Danny, which is her sister. And she dates him, or I guess it's in season three because they've just broken up at the time of this episode. Dr. Cox's wife, ex-wife, she appears later in episodes um so yeah. that relationship kind of gets mended and they, they all move on from that fact but um definitely important to take a note of that something you missed out on sadly yeah that is wild i don't know how zach Brad, i don't know how he's doing it man i mean every uh every sister out here he's, he's just making moves on so i, I guess respect to him but Seems a little unrealistic to me, if, if I'm being honest. Um, I think Brendan Fraser's performance is really good. Like you said, like he he just shows up right off the bat and you get like, oh, this is like the fun kooky guy with the camera and he's got all these jokes and he's just having a good time. He doesn't really have to do anything too emotional. Uh, John C. McGinley, when that reveal happens, I think his acting is also really incredible that, you know, the tear down his eye. We hear that song Winter by Josh Randon playing and it, it's an incredibly emotional, you know, moment in, in a TV show that, like I said, is is primarily a comedy, but it deals with death, you know, in a lot of episodes. And I like that you pointed out uh, some of the music too, because that was a recurring thing. Uh, well, there's a particular song in the next episode uh, too that I really like. But yeah, I think you know they turn up the mu music when they're when they're trying to get emotional. I think, and um, I kind of like that. Kind of just leave it without words a little bit. You can kind of just think about the situation a little, little bit more. So I think that is like an effective tool that they do use in a, in a couple episodes. 
Yeah. And it's really cool to watch like a television show, especially like a network television show like this that was premiering because it's like every season is almost a little bit of a time capsule of like what was like the popular or like the interesting song that they decided to get the one in this next episode that we'll talk about is definitely like a, a time relevant one but yeah scrubs there's even more songs um there's another great one in the finale but there's even more songs throughout the series that there's just great needle drops and great emotional moments that are accented by these incredible music musical moments which i love yep and they do that like they do that some in the office too they do that in a lot of tv i think but song choice is important. So, um, you know, if you're getting sad, you need you need the weepy ones. And I think they, they use those pretty effectively. Something interesting in this episode, obviously the first episode, the pilot, you kind of see the beginning of Turk and Carlo's relationship. We jump now to season three. They're engaged. I think that's it. Their relationship in particular is an extremely interesting one to track over the course of these five episodes because it is the one that develops the fastest. And it's the one that like, every single episode as we jump seasons, there's a new revelation. So in this one, they're engaged in this next episode, you know, Carla's pregnant, for example, in season five, um, which I think is cool. You literally took that straight out of my notes of like, because the next thing I was going to say for the next episode was what the hell she's pregnant and the one before he's married. So that is funny. I, I think like I was just trying to keep track of all the characters and where they're at. Cause like, Oh, is that rapping in a Ted's ex-girlfriend? Are they together? I don't know. Until like, halfway through the episode because they finally talk about it it's like oh where's Donald Faison and, and Succession Girl in their relationship so this is kind of just like a cool marker for me I'm like trying to keep everybody together in this circle but yeah it's a good point yeah and I think let's let's talk about season five in this episode I'm pretty sure Elliot we find out is like dating somebody else we don't get to see him but it's a character named Sean yeah. and you know there's an on and off again element to her and JD obviously in the end they do end up together but this consistent Carla Turk relationship is it's it's the true you know backbone of this tv show because those two you know if they break up then everything falls apart they're they're the destined ones to be together this episode we season five episode 20 my lunch um, we are introduced to another character who has previously appeared, but they do another, you know, they do a great job where it's like, as soon as you see this character on screen, they assume, you know, Hey, you probably didn't watch the other episodes. They, they, they're like, Hey, you're doing first Friday five, right? We, we, we're going to give you one sentence to explain who this person is. And they see, you know, her in the supermarket. They talk about, Oh yeah, here's the previous patient. She's had a rough life. And then, you know, you go into that further. Um, this is another sad, emotional one. That's part of the reason why I chose it. There are a ton of, you know, fun goof off episodes, but I think the episodes that they're able to balance the humor and the sadness really well are incredibly important. This one has a really tough Dr. Cox ending in it as well. And that actually goes, moves on, you know, to further episodes in the season. Um, but what, what did you think of season five, episode 20? I thought this was another really good one. And um, for like the personal pick, I definitely understand why you went for it. It seems like a real kind of just like powerful one again. Uh, the emotion seems to be something they really like to do. But yeah, kind of the main thing that I was focused on this one as well was kind of the the change in the relationship between, um, what's the doctor's name? Something, Peter, Petter? Perry Cox. Peter <laughs> Perry Cox, there you go. Perry the Platypus, that's what it was. Yeah, the, Dr. Perry and uh, JD's relationship, I thought it was actually pretty pretty interesting in this episode. Obviously, it revolves around you know him wanting to go with lunch with him, which I feel like 
it's something JD would do early early in the seasons, but like that would never ever happen. So when he does take him to lunch, like okay, like he has earned his respect a little bit, which I think is cool. And then a couple other little things about the episode. Zach Braff has, I think, a lot more voiceover compared to the other two episodes in this one. And every time I hear his voice, I just can't get Chicken Little out of my head. So it kind of just pisses me off a little bit anytime he's doing a bunch of voiceover. And then as well, the song that I was referring to earlier, How to Save a Life of a Frey, just an absolute banger. And to couple that with like a super emotional moment, it's kind of like like uh they doubled down on it almost because it's it is this like pretty tough story where they made a mistake and they didn't know this girl had rabies and then it infected all these other patients who were already probably going to kick it but i mean they were still in partly you know in fault there well and then you have the the one dr cox specific patient who could have waited for a transplant but he made this decision to put the person on the list Obviously, earlier in the episode, you have the interaction between Dr. Cox and JD, where he's like, you can't blame yourself for every single death that isn't your fault, because you'll never get through. And then at the end of this, a death happens. And it, you know, it, it kind of is Dr. Cox's fault at the end of that he made a decision that cost this person their life, while he didn't, you know, know it, and, you know, most people would never realize to, you know, check for rabies. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, a <laughs> this is an example of like a weird, rare disease that kind of pops up that in a TV show. Um, in a medical TV show that like never happens in real life, but with every rarity, there is the exception. There is the the rare instance where somebody, you know, has rabies and, you know, unfortunate mistakes like this can happen. I think, like you said, the how to save the life by the fray is incredible, particularly when Dr. Cox's patient finally flatlines and you've just got him like the, you know, the song kind of slows down a little bit. He's like throwing a fit in there and he's really mad. It's, it's great mad doctor acting um, from John C. McGinley there. And then interesting enough, like at the end of this episode, he's at a very low point. The next episode, he's like, he's home. He's drunk. He's not in his scrubs. Like JD has to like kind of go and like save him a little bit. Um, it is unfortunate that you don't get to watch the uh, the second half of the story play out a little bit. That's true. Yeah, that specific moment as well, where he's kind of just losing it, um, you know, trying to resuscitate him and everything. I thought that was probably the most powerful part of it. Obviously, you know, him and uh, JD have a little bit of a cry down in the hall after that, which is good too. But that was very good, like physical acting and as well just like emotional acting. Pretty good chops on him, I would say, just from that episode alone. But yeah, I, I did like this one a lot just because of those like really powerful moments again. John C. McGinley is in, he's in seven and Platoon and Point Break. Seven. He was in a lot more like movies in the 80s and 90s. And then kind of, you know, once you get on a TV show for nine years, that kind of takes up a lot of your time. Something I also wanted to bring up in this episode is we have a funny like continuation of a joke that appears in the third episode as well as the hook hand security guard gets mentioned in this episode. But he was also mentioned in episode or in uh, the season three episode we covered, which is funny because he's not mentioned in every single episode, but it just so happens that we have this through line of a joke. There's also a joke in uh this episode about Hugh Jackman and then he mentions Hugh Jackman in the next two episodes that we cover so just kind of uh funny how those coincidences happen that you know there's there's through lines even in the five episodes that we just picked yeah the the afro guy with the hook I thought that was actually a really good bit and that was even in the finale too they, they a little throwback to it so I like that and then yeah that was one of my um, major questions after watching this 
why does he hate Hugh Jackman so much? Because he will not stop talking. You know, it's one of those like reoccurring jokes that happens a lot, but I think we just got inundated with like, I can't, I don't know how many times he mentions Hugh Jackman, but it's not like all the time. It's just weird that we got like three episodes where he's hating on <laughs> Hugh Jackman, but it's very clear. Dr. Cox does not like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yeah, but does he say why? I'm confused. He doesn't in these episodes. So that's all we have to base it on, sadly. Just a fact. He just, he just doesn't like him as a person. I mean, I guess that's fair. I can't really argue against it. Don't know Hugh too well. Let's move on to the lowest rated episode, season eight, episode 11, My Na Na Na. You mentioned at the top how you were kind of confused about why this might be the lowest rated episode. And I'm kind of right there with you. It does have like a 7.5 and that's, you know, not that low in the whole scheme of things. I think the Office episode we did was a little bit lower than that. There's a couple other episodes in season eight that kind of are near around that that similar rating. I think a lot of people probably see season eight as having some of the worst moments and some of the best moments, you know, as most final seasons do. But I don't think this episode's that bad. I think the maybe the reason people don't like it is because it plays more into the weird like TV doctorous doctorishness of it. Like he gets this you know, experimental treatment from Sports Center, and then he uses it on a page, and it all works out. Whereas a lot of times in these episodes, things don't work out or things do not take the supernatural, fake fictional TV route. They go much more in line with what would happen in reality. I think this one just kind of seems a little bit distant from like real medicine, maybe. And that's why people don't like it. It's, it's a less grounded in reality story. Yeah, that is a good point, I think. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't hate this episode, I don't think, at all. I, I think, think it's a funny one for both of us because, like, we both like sports and, like, having an ESPN episode, like, is also cool, like, in the especially 2000s ESPN. Yeah, 2000s ESPN is is prime ESPN as well. But um, I think the Sports Center crossover, I feel like that kind of doesn't work, honestly. And maybe that's why it's not as high rated because it is, like, the title of the episode, too. And it's pretty much, it's, like, the big re- recurring joke, I feel like, throughout about it i don't know i think it's kind of dumb and it's kind of like pointless of why i would even be in there i think it's funny as well where donald Faison's like oh i watch this every single day of my life and he's he's now just learning about this like i thought you guys were best friends so that's kind of weird uh but some other stuff too i feel like um well i I want to mention with the espn thing real quick this season, like I mentioned at the beginning, was on ABC and not NBC. So that's why oh, you can have the SBNI integration because oh, all those companies are owned by Disney. Um, or I don't know if Disney was involved yet, but ABC and ESPN, you know, same parent companies at the time. So that's why you get this crossover. Gotcha. So they're kind of just selling out there in a sense. Too. Maybe Promote- so, yeah. Promoting their own material. We missed the, the Sesame Street crossover episode in this season as well. You, that's an unfortunate one. No way. Oh, I, I'm going to have to go and watch that one. Sure, that sounds absolutely insane. But um, the other big thing, I think, is just there's more of a focus on the gender relationship in this episode. And I was kind of like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I don't even know who, who these characters really are. And I was kind of confused why it was that was such a main you know, part of the story. And then, two, Ted's ex-girlfriend, I feel like she's not even in this episode, really. If I could be wrong, I may have missed her early. But I believe she does. She did not show up in the episode until there's five minutes left, and then that's when I found out that her and Zach Braff are together too. So I was like, "Oh dang!" Like I think I just went a whole episode without seeing like 
either of these characters together, which is kind of weird. And I feel like it just focuses on the janitor maybe a little bit more than I would like. So maybe that's kind of why people don't like this episode either a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about, I'm going to put a bookmark in the janitor thing because we need to talk about it. This episode, I think in general, is kind of less centered around JD than the previous ones. And that's kind of a definitely a factor of it being the final season. There's episodes of this season that he's not even in. Like there's a couple episodes that he's not around um, that are focused on other characters. This is actually one of the few shows where there is not a single actor who appears in every single episode. Now, of course, part of that is because of the weird season nine thing, but also just because like throughout its run, like there were some episodes where like JD wasn't in it. He's in 175. Uh, I think Donald Faison holds the record for the most with 182, but you know, people just sometimes don't appear. And this season was definitely more focused on kind of the ensemble as a whole, even though, you know, Sarah Chalk doesn't appear um, as much. I think another reason maybe this episode doesn't quite work is because it was kind of put together and jumbled a little bit. And because I found out that certain scenes of this episode were filmed for a season seven episode that didn't happen because of uh, writer strikes that were going on at the time. So like they had filmed up, yeah, so like it's kind of just like a mismangled bit of like different storylines and they just kind of got their 22 minutes. And I, I think that's why it doesn't quite work as well. All these episodes also, especially as the seasons in the show goes on, there's always this idea of like JD wrapping things up with his narration, right? Like there's a through line, there's a theme. It usually relates to the, you know, medical problems that their patients have been having. And they, it, that kind of mirrors whatever personal problems they've been having i think the wrap wrap up at the end of this episode sucks it's this whole like focus on like hands and like the power of hands and i think it's just like a a really dumb final narration wrap up in a show where it does a good job of pulling a lot of threads together to like tell you like one message this episode i just think is pretty unsuccessful in like pulling all those different threads together let's talk about the janitor so with the episodes we chose, we just didn't get a good mix of janitor episodes up until this point. Mm -hmm. The janitor in the first season really only interacts with JD. And there was an, even a thought early on when the show might get canceled after one season, Bill Lawrence was like, well, we're going to write it as like the janitor was in JD's head the whole time. And like, it was a figment of his, and he'd been fucking with him. Um, they, after the show, like continues to go on, they're like, okay, well, we can go away from this. In season twos and three, the janitor begins to interact with other people. He becomes a more fleshed out character, but he's always this like enemy antagonist to JD. He's also a mystery. There's like this common thing where he's like constantly telling lies. You never know what he says is true. We don't find out his name until the finale. Yeah, he's just like this enigma throughout. There's even an episode in like the second or third season where they're watching um, the movie The Fugitive. And the actor who plays the janitor, Neil Flynn, is in the Fugitive movie. But like JD and Turk's characters are watching the Fugitive and he appears at the end and they're like, that's the janitor. What the fuck? And then they confront him about it. And he's like, oh, no, that wasn't me. But then at the end of the episode, he like does his line reading from the movie. So you're like, oh, so like in this universe, he is the actor who played it. It's weird. The janitor is a confusing character. Cool. But it he is like, I mean, in the first episode, right? You put a penny in the door all the way until the last episode. Um, he is a through line. We just didn't get a lot of great of stuff from him in the episodes we saw. This just seems like a, a super high centric focus on him for an episode, uh, which I don't know if I, I love. 
but that is funny that that storyline before of of him and the fugitive that actually sounds really funny so i like that but it is kind of cool where um, you you're talking about how not all the characters are there every episode i kind of like that so that, that makes sense kind of with ted's ex-girlfriend too of maybe why she wasn't there for an entire episode but yeah i mean that does make sense like not everybody's going to be working the same shifts at the same time too so that yeah, well and then like a good write-off for it at least i think yeah and you know you know like all these episodes are titled my whatever and jd is the air narrator there are some episodes where it follows like turk and there's um they go through they call like them his story and her story and they're like i think they did like three or four of these different episodes where it's like he physically bumps into them and then they take over the narration for the episode. I think the first time it happens, it's like, oh, JD had like worked a 12 hour shift and then he's off for two days. So then we yeah. just get to follow the two days around the hospital when JD isn't there. And it's in those episodes are really fun. They switch things up a little bit. So, yeah, I like that. you know, being able to play with your style is definitely something that you have to be able to do over the course of, you know, eight seasons, almost 200 episodes. Yeah, no, no, I do like that. I kind of just keep it fresh a little bit, just in the system. One last thing from this episode I want to shout out. The guy whose his kid is paralyzed, that guy's in a great TV show called White Collar. I've talked about it many a time on this podcast, but I uh, just have to shout that guy out because uh, he's a great actor, underutilized in this episode, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Let's go on to season eight, episode 18 and 19, my finale, the finale of the show, a two-parter here. This episode features a lot of music. The first part starts with Heyo by the Red Hot Chili Peppers playing, and we kind of get yes. a replay of the Great song, the pilot that we saw, yeah. set, you know, which is yeah. kind of cool when you're doing a show like this. You just watch the pilot, and then there's all these callbacks in the final episode. What did you think of the finale? Were, were you a fan? Well, I think it was kind of tailor-made for our system a little bit because, like you said, there was a ridiculous amount of callbacks to the, uh, to the pilot. So it's like, oh, hey, like, I even understand what's going on here. Like, it's effective for me because I, you know, I at least went through that part of it. So I really like that just, just from a personal standpoint from the system. But I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I don't know. The, the relationship, again, between Dr. Perry and JD, it seems to be almost completely different from where we saw it in, like, season five. I feel like Dr. Perry's kind of back to me like, oh, he just hates everything. Like, that's his only character beat now. So I don't know. It, the writing probably just went downhill after all these years. I thought that was interesting to see how much that like relationship has changed. And then obviously it's kind of transitioning JD and Ted's, Ted's ex-girlfriend to, to being together for the long haul. So that's a cool thing too. I mean, from pilot all the way here, I think it's a pretty long journey and I, I at least get to see the tail end of it, which I think is, is a cool place to honestly just like jump straight ahead and and see, oh, like these two are meant for each other. So it's kind of cool if I do go back and, and watch some of it. That like that'll always be in the back of my head, um, which I like. But yeah, I thought it was pretty heartfelt. The stuff at the very end, where obviously it's just like the another big dream sequence, which make would make sense. To, like, and and it's something that I imagine would not work on you, having not like yeah spent you know eight years of your life or you know eight seasons. Like right. there's a certain level of <laughs> anticipation and building to a moment, and there's all these faces that you have not seen in any of your episodes. So like, I, I get that it might feel a bit empty to you. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, obviously I'm not understanding half of this. Uh, they do so many references at the end where he's walking down the hall. I'm like, Nope, Nope, Nope. Mr. Oh, Mosby shows up. <laughs> he's like in a straight jacket or something. I'm like, Which is crazy. <laughs> but the Afro guy's there. And um, 
the the lunch girls there as well. So I knew a couple of them, which is funny. But kind of just like the him, the dream sequence at the end where it's like the visuals over it makes sense to like do a big dream sequence like that of like, oh, like what's your future gonna look like? Kind of a cool wrap up. But I don't know. The visual of just like stuff on his face, I think is kind of dumb. I'm not gonna lie. But overall, I did think it was it looked like a decent, decent finale. There were cool character moments and like everything seemed to be wrapped up pretty much as well as you could for for a show like this. So I thought it was pretty good. You know, you mentioned the like it feels like Dr. Cox and JD had almost like digressed in their relationship. And I think that's something that's really hard. It's like, if you're going to have these two people butt heads or like kind of be, you know, Dr. Cox be a hard ass, like you can't just do that and have no change happen or have no development in their relationship happen. But at the same time, you also have to like constantly be resetting it to like, a normal so it's like a difficult thing to do over the course of eight years so i can understand why you can like be a little because it's like they seemed like they were doing a lot better like just three seasons ago and now it's like they're already back to like being jerks again um i think the important thing to remember is that there's like dr cox is just an asshole like that's his thing like he is an asshole no matter what yeah. whether you know he has a good relationship or not with jd like that's the way he kind of shows love even to his own son or to his ex slash wife current whatever you know is happening there with that subplot and his wedding ring i want to ask you cody do you want do you, did it was it conveyed to you in this episode why jd was leaving the hospital i don't think it was right that was literally my you're literally do you have like my notes or something <laughs> reading bullet points off them my next thing was why the hell is he leaving it's no it's not said i'm sure it's said in like episodes before and stuff why he has to go but it's not mentioned one single time in these two episodes which i thought was kind of weird okay so basically elizabeth banks uh, plays someone that JD has a relationship with this, in this TV show. They don't have sex, but they, you know, maybe do some foreplay and she gets pregnant off that. And JD has a kid. And then she goes and is like working at a different hospital. And his whole thing is that he's moving to be closer to his child. Mm, but he's still dating Ted's ex girlfriend. I they find her. She's pregnant. Turns out it's his kid. They have baby Sammy. Uh, his name is Sam Perry Gilligan Dorian, named after uh, Dr. Cox. Um, so there's a sweet moment for you there. Interesting. Um, Here we go. Kim moved with, within a 37-minute driving distance of Sacred Heart, and JD would drop Sammy off regularly at her apartment. He just wanted to move closer but only like 37 minutes away yeah, not, is the answer. Really that far away. And I think uh, Elizabeth Banks' character ends up dating Ted's ex, Sarah Chalk, uh, Elliot's ex-boyfriend. So they, they all end up together and happy. So there you go. Interesting. I don't know if we should harp on this, but I'm kind of confused what you said. You said they didn't have sex, but she still got pregnant. I That, uh, that doesn't add up for me, but um, I could just be off here. Well, that that is like a point of contention in the TV show as well. Everyone's like, "How does that happen?" Um, you're a doctor, but like, okay. you know, a okay. couple callbacks um, to the pilot, which I think are great. Obviously, you have Doctor Cox saying to this new intern, yeah. "Just open their mouth and throw ibuprofen at him," which is something that he says to JD in the first episode. They do their eagle thing, which isn't in the season, is not in the pilot, but it is a constant throughout the show. I think it's actually first introduced in Brendan Fraser's episode in season one, episode 23. You know, I mentioned how the na-na-na episode takes like the, the thematic 
relationship between the disease that a patient has and the things they're going with and then mirrors it to the patient, the people's lives. I think this episode is a lot more successful because you have this patient who's like, you know, unsure about his future and he doesn't know what to expect. And he purposely decides to not get this testing done because he doesn't want to, you know, know whether or not he might have this disease. And that kind of mirrors, you know, the, what JD's going through. He's kind of uncertain about his future. And he has the line about, you know, the future, my future is still mine. It can be whatever I want it to be, um, which I think is really great. And a good example of taking, you know, a doctor thing and, and putting it into your personal life. Yeah. I thought that storyline especially was, was pretty interesting too. And it kind of like, it wasn't like nostalgia based, which is pretty much all finale really needs. It's kind of just like asking more, you know, genuine questions. Would you want to know? Like I, that is like an actual medical thing that I think is is pretty interesting. So yeah, I, I like they included that in this episode too. There's also great stuff with Carla and JD. They have a great moment. I love when she says you were Bambi. Someone had to teach you how to walk. Um, they always have, you know, a very special relationship as well. The penny in the door thing. I think is great. Um, it, it's this, again, like it's not something that you can really understand, but in five episodes, it, it doesn't quite get conveyed, but it's it's this constant thing of like, did you put a pudding in the door? Did you put a pudding in the door? Oh yeah, it fell out of my pocket. It was there the whole time. I guess that was not a great reveal for you. Um, interesting enough, that second part, the second episode, this whole fantasy, this whole montage at the end is a, basically a third of the, of the episode. It's like seven minutes long. Um, yeah. You've got the Book of Love playing by Peter Gabriel, who can tell me fantasies won't come true that he says. I think it's really sec- successful, like you said, because JD's having these fantasies throughout the entire show. So it's like only fitting that it ends with one of his fantasies. I will say it's a little anticlimactic that the final shot is him just like getting in his car and driving away. I, I don't necessarily know if I love that as the final shot. Yeah, I think they just like kept it realistic though. I kept thinking like, oh, they're... He was walking down the hall through all the characters and he's going to open up the door and there's going to be all these people there, you know, being like, oh, we're going to miss you, blah, blah, blah. But no, it's just like, you know, they're just mo- he's moving on with his life. So I think they kept it like pretty existential at the end, which I kind of like. I think the gift that he gives to Dr. Cox is great. Um, Something that like didn't really come up in these episodes, which is really strange. Dr. Cox calls JD like girls names. It's like the thing he does, but he doesn't really do it in any of these episodes. He either calls him newbie or he calls him a girl's name. Obviously now maybe that's seen as a little bit more problematic or not necessarily as, you know, acceptable as just, you know, referring to a man as a little girl to demean them. That's, you know, not cool necessarily, but like it's something he does throughout the show. And it's something that the actor John C. McGinley did in his real life to his friend, John Cusack, I guess he's always just calling him girls names. So he brought that in and called JD girls names, but something really cool is that the writers did is that he never repeats a name throughout the run of the series. So he only like every single episode, he's calling him by a different name, which I think is really cool. And then you also have all the different rants that he does that gets, you know, compiled into that book with the, uh, the rating system on how much it uh, hurt him. Yeah. And he's still a real asshole at the end too. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't even tell him straight up like, Oh, you know, how appreciative of him he is, blah, blah, blah. He thinks he's a good doctor or whatever. Like, he literally won't even say that to his face. He's got pride out of him uh, <laughs> another method. But, uh, yeah, their relationship throughout, I, I think, is, is maybe the most interesting one. Let's move over to our uh, top fives. Cody, what what top five did you make for these uh, five episodes? <laughs> I've made two, actually. Oh, okay. But one of them, we pretty much already covered. One of them was just the top uh, five things I don't really understand. 
so we can run through these super quick but the first one was Hugh Jackson. I guess if have you have you had them all explained to you I guess is the question yeah all of them I think except for maybe one so we'll, we'll start from number five actually and at number five is just the hallway of characters at the end I don't understand any of them but I'm sure they're my stories uh number four which you kind of explained but not really is the eagle I don't really understand that they just he likes to be spun around I guess is, it's in cool? it is something that Braff and Faison improvised in that episode in season one, episode 23. And it was just like a character thing that they did throughout the series. Cool. Interesting. Uh, number three was the janitor's relationship being an important factor in the story. Number two was the janitor's name changing. I didn't catch up on that until the very, very end. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, so that was fun. And then lastly, number one was Hugh Jackman. You didn't even explain it well. Uh, there's no reason for you not to like Hugh Jackman. He's a great actor. He can sing. He can do it all. So I'm not sure what the issue is. But yeah, those those are the top five things I don't understand. I do have another one as well, but I'll throw it over to you first and, and go over your list. Apparently, a few years ago in an AMA, Bill Lawrence said that they just wanted something random and funny for him to hate. So they said, you know what? Hugh Jackman is like the, the funniest random person that we can have him hate. And uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so stupid, but I kind of like it. <laughs> so my top five, I decided because it's something that it happens in every single episode of the TV show, I wanted to go top five fantasies. So I think there's about 13 different ones that happen, but here are my top five. So number five happening in the pilot episode is the Elliot versus JD race. This one had to make it onto the top five because it's the very first fantasy that happens in the TV show. We have a song. Is, is the shaving cream, is that not a fantasy thing? Does he actually do that? Well, that, I guess that is a question mark. Is the shaving, him getting ready in the morning fantasy or is it him, you know, just being good? Yeah. It, it's a question about his character. Um, but during the running, you have I Want You to Want Me by Cheap Trick playing, which is kind of funny because it's like they're doing a release and it's dramatic, but it's also like this thing of like he's trying to impress this girl and he's trying to get, you know, get with her. Um, so I think that's a fun one. Number four for me, just going for a pure horror pick. It's uh, Dr. Cox stealing JD's kidney. So you have the flash and he's like, oh. oh yeah, like I'd be happy to give my kidney away. And then he realizes that Dr. Cox took both of his kidneys um, to save his patient. Number three goes back to our uh, giant Afro hook hand guy, the poker hand one where right. he goes, nice hand. I think that one's just like, it's super short and it's funny. It's just like a super one note, boom, joke, laugh, get out. Number two is actually JD watching Turk try and tell the uh, the dad that his son isn't going to be able to walk anymore. And he's got the greeting card and he opens it up and there's a kitty in a wheelchair. And he says, the bad news is your son can't walk. Um, I think this is just like the good example of like the goofy, extremely absurdist versions of the fantasies. And then of course, number one, you got to take the, the the final fantasy, the end fantasy at the in the finale. Um, I'm going to count both the walk down the hallway and the watching it on the screen as all one. Just a couple people to highlight. You see his brother shows up. Some of his various ex-girlfriends are featured. Uh, Jill Tracy, who obviously dies in the My Lunch episode. Some other people that have passed away over the course of the series. Um, Mr. Mosby, who plays Hooch. Um, the tool resident character who appears in the pilot and it goes, I'm a tool, I'm a tool, a tool, tool, tool. Like that guy's there and he's got a different book. 
And then of, of course you've got the book of love playing over uh, that, you know, kind of montage fantasy about like what him and Elliot's life might be, you know, becoming friends with Dr. Cox and getting to have like all their kids hang out, which uh, I think is great. Great list. I think it's funny that your number two is on like the lowest rated episode. I really like that. And then, yeah, out of, out of those, my favorite would probably be the Afro hook hand just because uh, of that specific line, like you said, but that's just like a straight punchline. as instead of just like being absurd just outside the top five i really like when he's talking about like oh it's just a sitcom finale and like you turn off the lights and he turns off the lights and all the like power goes out in the hospital i think that's really funny and then also the deer in the headlights in in the first episode as well because it's like that's the like extremely absurd (laughs) one um there's there's so many great ones there's throughout the course of the series there's like star wars references like any like reference to anything like it's probably been done in a scrubs fantasy um also we should address there are three episodes of this television show um where people appear in blackface which is not good i can say that unabashedly um they're all jd fantasies very much not okay and unacceptable something that happened in t- 2000s television you know it would probably never happen today um thankfully those, those episodes, I think, have been removed from Hulu. Like, you can't even go back and watch them now. Um, but it is unfortunate that it happened, like, multiple times over the course of the television show. And uh, I'm glad Hulu has removed those. But, yeah, that, that is crazy. I would have never known that. Uh, yeah, it's something that is not okay and not acceptable. And, uh, you know, glad it's gone at this point. All right, Cody, what's your other top five? So, yeah, my other one, and this may be a little bleak, but we're going to spin it in a positive way. I want to do the top five people who passed away in the show. So I feel like pretty much every episode, somebody kicks it. Um, so we'll run through my top five super quick. Number five, all those transplant patients. Uh, just a super sad moment. So that's why we're keeping it down here. Number five, because, uh, you know, that one really sucked. Number four, I'm going to go with Jill, the lunch girl. That one's tough too. I mean, Zach Braff just takes that one on the shoulder and, um, yeah, I don't know. It, the cocaine OD as well. Um, that's what they thought it was at the beginning, too. And you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of a tough way to go out. But it's at number four here because the rabies reveal is cool, but not cool because it takes everybody else out. But the, the concept of it is, is a good reveal, I guess. And number three, I'm going to go with the fake out old man from the Brendan Fraser episode. Um, I think he deserves a spot on this list just because, you know, I thought he was gone for a little bit. So I, I don't think he technically passed away, but he made the list. Uh, coming in at number two is actually the autopsy guy from the pilot. I think he has a high spot on this list just because we never really, uh, you know, have to deal with any of the emotional stuff there, really. It kind of gets taken over to Ted's ex-girlfriend, which is nice for and a cool character moment to end the episode. Uh, then at number one, of course, everybody knows it's Brendan Fraser. I mean, this episode was, like I said, my favorite of the bunch by far. And um, his performance was just so much fun. Such a likable character. And I'm sure Brendan Fraser was just being himself mostly, which is probably the best thing about it. But uh, he, he was the easy number one. Yeah, you know, Brendan Fraser, he probably over the course of the show, he still is, is probably the easy number one, right? Um, I do like that list a lot. and uh, But there's a reason his episode is the highest rated. Let's yeah. uh, go over to pitch time. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, they did do a spinoff, a reboot. And just purely based on that fact, like it makes me not even want to touch it. Like I love this TV show. It's something I grew up on and I would not want to see them try and ruin it again. If they were going to do it, 
they either need to like it's a JD show with all the original cast or none of the original cast. Like there is like, I just don't, I think it's like one or the other. You can't do what they did in the season nine where it's like, we're going to bring back some of your favorite characters, but they're only going to be here occasionally. And they're like, like going to serve the purpose of like a nostalgia or like passing the tour. It, it's just, it's failed, right? It doesn't work. I think maybe you could do like JD as the chief of medicine at a hospital, set it in like, the modern world of medicine. You could even, you know, post COVID implications because at, at its core, like the show was always commentating on American healthcare and insurance and, you know, the way we treat people who are less fortunate in our healthcare. And I think those themes are still prescient today. And I think you can continue to have those conversations um, while doing like a more older, mature comedy. It would really be interesting to see, you know, JD in the mentor role with maybe, uh, you know, a different type of uh, mentee for him. True. I do think that would be a good idea. And I do kind of agree with you that I don't think a reboot is necessarily the best idea. What I am going to pitch, it could be a reboot, but I think kind of just like conceptually with with the pitches too, I think um, something fun to do is just like pitch like a random season that would have just appeared in like season three or season four in the middle of it. So what I was thinking of, say like season six or something, Zach Braff, he gets promoted to the head honcho of the hospital, and he has, like, authority over Perry. He's got authority over everybody. I think that would be kind of cool, just conceptually, um, to get a lot more humor, because then it's like, oh, no, Zach Braff's being an asshole now to the doctors who, who's been doing it for so long. And it's also Zach Braff, so you're just putting him more in the forefront. So I think he'd, he'd be on board with it, too. Um, and then a specific episode as well, I I wanted to, to pitch one. Uh Basically, I just want an episode where they all go to therapy together. Uh, there's a lot of emotional stuff. They're all screaming at each other 24-7. And, like, Zach Braff, by the end of it, too, he seems to be just, like, just really in tune with his emotions. So, conceptually... for like, he isn't a very emotional character. <laughs> yeah. So, I think everybody at therapy and him, like, gushing out of emotions and be like, you guys need to do the same thing would, would be funny uh, on paper. So, uh, yeah, just a couple little pitches there, I, I think, just to add some humor. Yeah, I like I like that idea of like putting JD and Dr. Cox into like a different sort of power dynamic. I think at different yeah. points throughout the series, they do kind of play around with that at different moments, you know, like who's in charge of this patient or who has authority here or there. I think the only problem is like if you do say make him like chief of medicine or something, it's just like really hard to come back from that. And like, where do you go from there in later seasons? Like maybe you yeah. could do it to finish the show out or something like that. But, you know, in similar to what we talked about, like him and Dr. Cox betting heads, like you kind of always have to reset that relationship by promoting him so highly, you, you put yourself into a bit of a corner. Yeah, that is true. But also, I mean, for a reboot, I feel like you could do that. Maybe just like a one-off season. True. And that'd be super fun, but you are right. I mean, to keep the show at its core, that, that makes sense to not do that. All right. And then finally, our last category, more or less, Cody, you've seen five episodes. What do you think? Are you going to watch more of the show? Um, I'm gonna. I'm always gonna try and answer this question genuinely. I would think. Um, I think I will watch some more episodes. I'm not gonna lie to you. I think I'm gonna turn it on right after we finish recording because so I do at least want to watch like the first season. I think, and then possibly move forward from there. But I mean, I enjoyed pretty much all these episodes, even the lower rated one. Like I said, um, I had some fun with it. So I think it's it's maybe a show where they could possibly run out of ideas after a little bit kind of just like any other sitcom that goes on for maybe a little bit too long. But uh, yeah, I think I am going to give it, uh, you know, five more episodes, say, per chance and, and keep going from there. Yeah, I will say like a benefit of a show like this where you're working in a hospital is like 
every single day you're going to have new patients. So it's like something new is constantly being presented to the characters. And then, you know, every season there's a new set of interns or doctors or, or like different people that get introduced. So they're constantly innovating and adding more people, but I would say you should check it out. I, I think something that's really great about it is like these episodes felt when I was watching these five, like they went by so fast. They're 22 minutes. They're yeah. so snappy. Like, and I, and I miss that with TV a little bit. Like, there's not a lot of, you know, especially in the age of streaming and like, we don't, TV is not made to fit into a half hour block with commercials anymore. It's made to just be whatever fucking length that fits the story, which I, you know, is a benefit sometimes, but also a lot of times is, is a negative in, in the, in the t- movie TV making process. I think too much freedom has almost caused a, a little bit of a deterioration in quality to some regards. So I think it's an extremely easy show. You can just throw it on when you're fucking doing something else. And you've got 20 minutes of laughs just kind of in the background. It's, it's a perfect show for that. And, and then it's also got, you know, the emotion that can, you know, pull you in at different moments. Yeah. It, it was something we were talking with Chris in our sitcom draft too, where it's like, it's not as much time commitment. Like you look at a sitcom episode, you're like, Oh, it, it's only 20 minutes. It makes it so much easier, at least for me to, to binge the crap out of those kind of shows. Cause you convince yourself like, Oh, you're not spending that much time on it. Um, when conceptually it, it's pretty much the same but yeah no, like I said I, I think I'm definitely gonna watch more of it so good good recommendation here Colby I'm proud of you two two things to end on one this show to me when I was growing up I loved it I honestly would say like it's the reason I wanted to be a doctor for the first like 16 years of my life it, it really did draw me into that and I had a strong connection to it it's something that my brother loved before me because obviously you know I was one when the first season came out so it's something that like he watched and my parents watched and then I was kind of drawn in later he owned various seasons on you know disc at different points so I was able to watch it it's always been a good streamer one um so yeah like this is just like definitely a touch point for me very early on in my life and you know it's remained a constant the second point that I want to share with you and I don't know if you know this Cody but Turk, Donald Faison, in this show, Scrubs, invented the Fortnite default dance. How does that information, uh, does that surprise you? Did you know that? Do you think this is easy? Yeah, Spider-Man and Freeze in full effect. Uh-huh. You ready, Ron? I'm ready. Oh, that, that does surprise me. <laughs> I definitely did not know that. So I look forward to watching that for the first time. But uh, yeah, I, I had no idea. That's where it came from. That's really funny. It is a Donald Faison original, like improvised dance scene. He does it. And it is exactly <laughs> what the, the default dance in, in Fortnite is. So there you wow. go. Uh, shout out back to season one when we, we had a Fortnite category inspired directly from Donald Faison. So that's awesome. Full circle moment right here. And I think uh, that's a good place to end. Uh, thank you for listening to the March edition of First Friday Five on Scrubs. We're going to be back next April with a new TV show and a yep. guest. Ooh, catch us in a month uh, for more TV. But yeah, should be a good time. Peace. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.